This episode is brought to you by Beauty IQ Uncensored. To be honest, and it, it probably sounds like I'm trying to play this down, but I really didn't ever think about playing for Australia until I got picked for Australia. Yeah, I think sport in essence, and you know, even though it's my, my job now, the heart of it is that I just love playing. So it's really lovely that it's my career, but I suppose I'd I guess I haven't really worked a day in my life yet because <laughs> <laughs> I don't really see it as a job. I think we have to have our own identity in the sense that we don't constantly compare female athletes, particularly in team sports, to, to male counterparts and the way that they play or the way that their competitions go. Because I think inherently, you know, one of the great things about life is, is men and women are, are really different. Welcome to the Seize the Yay podcast. Busy and happy are not the same thing. We too rarely question what makes the heart sing. We work, then we rest, but rarely we play and often don't realise there's more than one way. So this is a platform to hear and explore the stories of those who found lives they adore. The good, bad and ugly, the best and worst day will bear all the facets of seizing your yay. I'm Sarah Davidson, or Spoonful of Sarah, a lawyer turned fun entrepreneur who swapped the suits and heels to co-found Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar. Seize the Yay is a series of conversations on finding a life you love and exploring the self-doubt, challenge, joy and fulfilment along the way. If you're a cricket fan, you'll certainly appreciate how incredible today's guest is. But even if you're not, I have no doubt that you'll very soon understand how remarkably well-adjusted, humble and untainted Elise Perry is for someone who has been an elite international athlete since the tender age of 16, when she made her debut into the Australian team. Whether you understand the sport or not, we all know that elite athletes in any field face incredible pressures and expectations, as well as the ups and downs that fame and fortune can bring, but I'm still completely bowled over by how level-headed Elise has remained and how endearing her views on winning, being a role model, and the ultimate importance of friends and family truly are. There are far too many accolades to list, but to give you some brief background, Elise became the youngest ever Australian Test cricketer, debuting at the age of 17, and has since amassed incredible statistics, mastering both the batting and bowling disciplines. Not only that, she played for Australia in both cricket and soccer with the Matildas until the growth of hers and the profile of both sports allowed athletes to go full time and required her to choose one or the other. And she has continued to absolutely flourish, becoming a leading figure for the rising female presence in Australia's sporting culture. Despite her great success, she has such a refreshing attitude towards winning and competitiveness, and I loved hearing that her closest friends know absolutely nothing about cricket, keeping her feet firmly on the ground. I hope you enjoy getting to know this Aussie legend as much as I did. Elise, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining. Oh, thanks for having me on. I mentioned just before we started recording that we're a big cricket family, so my whole family has been fangirling you from afar. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's very cool. (laughs) I'm flattered. (laughs) So before we kick off every episode, I start with a couple of icebreakers. Mm -hmm. And normally I start with what the most down-to-earth thing is about you, particularly for people like yourself who people see in the media a lot, and it's really easy to assume that you know, put you on a pedestal and forget you're a real human. But 
with the kind of mess of 2020, I've added a new one. Just how are you? How are you feeling? What are you up to? You're in quarantine as well at the moment. I am. Yeah, I'm I'm going really well. Thanks. I'm up in Brisbane. So we've come up here as a a team because we've got um, some matches at the end of the month. But anyone from New South Wales or Victoria had to come up a few weeks early and do a bit of quarantine time in the hotel. So uh, we've been here for about eight days, I think. So we've got about six days left of quarantine before we're sort of let loose, which has been a bit of a tease, I must admit, because I stare out my window and it's been nice and hot and sunny up in Brisbane. But in saying that, I yeah, feel very lucky actually to be up here and we're sort of allowed to mix with each other on, on the floor of the hotel. So I'm not completely isolated, which is lovely. And I know a lot better off than... Um, you know, some people are doing it at the moment with what's going on. So I'm pretty good. Thanks for asking. <laughs> That's so good. You guys are able to actually see each other while you're doing the quarantine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know how people do it by themselves. It'd be so, so tough. You know, even with all the gadgets we've got these days and um, things like Zoom and FaceTime and all that, I still think, um, yeah four walls in a pretty small room it'd be pretty tough yeah for sure I've always said the most important thing you can learn to do is enjoy your own company so I've always (laughs) sort of tried to embrace alone time and being able to sit with your own thoughts but you know anything more than a day at a time it's like I'm so sick of my own (laughs) thoughts like get me away from myself (laughs) yeah I totally agree and I think sometimes it's probably easier when you get a bit more space so that you can get out and be on your own but um, have people around you I suppose like whether you're out walking or in a public space, it's probably a little bit different when you're in just a room by yourself. But I do agree, yeah. more than a day and it's pretty uh, pretty <laughs> harrowing. <laughs> so as to the real icebreaker, what is something that's just super down to earth and normal about you? And I've actually read oh. that so many people, the common thing that they have as a response to chatting with you is that you're just so incredibly humble despite having so many titles of records and things you've done first and the youngest and the, you know, there's just so, you have such an incredible, incredible career already at such a young age but seem very very humble so what's something really normal about you remind us that you're not a superwoman oh gosh there's um many many things off the bat I'm a terrible dancer um (gasps) it's probably actually quite abnormal because I think the normal person is much much better than me at dancing no way Um, terrible 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 it's actually like cause of anxiety for me I think dance floors unfortunately um because I love music but uh, I just can't dance oh my Um, god (laughs) yeah gosh there's lots of things um I leave cupboard doors open as a really bad habit regularly that's a good one. Um, yeah, dress like a bit of a dag most of the time. Yeah, there's plenty of things, plenty of things. <laughs> I love it. Most of them are embarrassing. Yeah. The best ones are though. I kind of feel like that's why I start with this question. I'm like, what can you out yourself about that's going to put everyone else at ease with, <laughs> with what a normal person you are? <laughs> yeah, actually it's funny, like living on um, a single hotel floor with 12 other people at the moment, we're sort of like very exposed as to our real selves and possibly our worst habits and stuff and I've got a clicky jaw so when I eat sometimes even though I do manage to chew with my mouth closed my jaw clicks so I think quite a few (laughs) of the girls have tuned into that um, which is kind of funny so we sort of picked up on one another's habits as well. I actually love that when you spend an extended amount of time with people you just notice things you've never realized like you might have known them your whole life and you're like you eat apples really loudly yeah (laughs) not a social food to eat the apple I have only recently found out actually that all of my friends know I'm a loud apple eater and I never knew 
Like they just, I don't know whether they <laughs> agree between you. them. Yeah, I'm like, dude, when were you going to say something? I had no idea. Now I'm really yeah. self-conscious about it. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I'm one of those weirdos with apples. I ate the whole thing except for like the stalk. So, yeah, I've accidentally done that in public a few times up here on this floor as well. So, um <laughs> <laughs> Tell me that you don't eat the skin on kiwi fruit. No, I don't. Okay, good. No, oh my god, I'm not gonna, that lazy. It's gonna hang up on you. I was like, I nah. <laughs> that's just to me. That's just pure laziness because it's, like, it's quite hard for it to peel, right? But I, it's I fairy. If you're eating the skin, it's it's not for enjoyment. It's literally because you're lazy. <laughs> yeah, my husband's like, it's fiber. You know, it actually tastes good. I'm like, uh, I just, I don't see it. You know, I try to see your point of view. I'm really empathetic, but I, I can't get on board with the kiwi fruit skin. No, there's lots of other sources of fiber, isn't there? I'm exactly. Sure not fairy skin. <laughs> so the first section is your way TA, where we trace back every chapter of your life from childhood at least to now, because people walk into our lives at a certain stage and forget that we've been so many different people and versions of ourselves in every stage before that. And one thing I always try and emphasize on the podcast is how many people's pathways aren't linear. They involve lots of diversions, a bit of a loss of direction before they ultimately find where they're meant to be. But Mm -hmm. I also love to show it doesn't have to be that way. And in your case, it is so cool that you were pretty much discovered at 16 and your great (laughs) prowess for sport has been around since you were a young child and you've continued to flourish on that same pathway (laughs) and, of course, are still there now. So, take us back to those young days and tell us what young Elise was like. <laughs> yeah, well, that's fully my childhood, all the sports, I guess. Yeah, I grew up in Sydney, pretty standard Aussie family, really. Um, I've got an older brother and mum and dad both played a lot of sport growing up and in their adult years so I think it was just like very much a part of our family life from when I can remember whether in the backyard mucking around with balls or throwing or kicking or passing down to you know being at the local park going to the beach on weekends riding our bikes around the neighborhood all those things um, were just very much a part of our everyday life and then yeah I think as I got a bit older particularly Probably like one of the biggest things I can remember from my childhood in relation to sport and I suppose what I'm doing now is when I went to primary school and I was definitely a bit of a tomboy, (laughs) probably still am in a lot of ways, but um, (laughs) I remember being in kindergarten and quite a few of my new friends from school were all all the boys and they were joining the local soccer club and I hadn't really done a lot with soccer prior to them, but I just wanted to fit in, I guess. And so I asked mum and dad if I could go down to the the local club as well and try out. And yeah, that was like the first time I played organized sport, I think. And that was in the under sixes, the Beecroft Wombats. <laughs> um, and yeah, since then, like I've always been involved in, I guess, community or organized sport, as well as just like loving the outdoors and probably having a little bit of affinity for physical activity so that was very much my childhood and as I said kind of our family life as well as as how we spent time together. Yeah I love that sport is such a great uniter of people and I think a leveler (laughs) of background like everyone from all walks of life is so united by a joint love for something Mm. but what I think so interesting is there are so many kids who sport is such a big part of their upbringing and learning discipline and like community and interacting with their families but not many of them necessarily turn out to do it as a job 
<laughs> or even think that they might be able to. And particularly women, yeah. it's only recently really that there have been as many opportunities in female sport as yeah. there are now. So, you know, back then, did you actually ever hope it would become your job or <laughs> did you just were you just doing it for fun? Because, I mean, you know, at Pimble, you were sports, athletics, cricket captain. Your career actually started at 16 before most of us even think about careers. But pre <laughs> that, were you like, I want to be a cricketer when I grow up or was it just like a leisure activity? Yeah, you're totally right. I mean, I think um, sport has evolved hugely in, in the time that I've probably been involved at the top level in terms of it being an, a career option. And very much for me growing up, it was never really about that at all. I absolutely just love playing sport and, you know, made lots of friends, joining different teams and it was just what I loved doing. And so that was really all I cared about. Um, I never really thought about certainly it not being a career, but even um, even playing for Australia or anything like that, it was never really part of why I did it or, a, you know, a thought process, I suppose. It was just that I loved playing. And so I used to try out for all different teams and, you know, those, those kind of teams took me to different places and I had different experiences. And I guess as, as a result, it just kept evolving. But to be honest, and it, it probably sounds like I'm trying to play this down, but I really didn't ever think about playing for Australia until I got picked for Australia. I suppose <laughs> I, was, I was kind of aware of it. Um, I wasn't when I was younger, but like as I got a bit older and in my teenage years, I knew there was Australian women's cricket team and, and soccer team, but it wasn't really something I'd put up on a board as a goal or anything like that it just kind of came about so yeah I think sport in essence and you know even though it's my my job now the heart of it is that I just love playing so it's really lovely that it's my career but I suppose I'd I guess I haven't really worked a day in my life yet because <laughs> I don't really see it as a job. Um, it's a bit of a, a game, really. I love that so much because I think like so many people's pathways are just so such roller coasters and all over the place and or they've, you know, set out for something when they were young and they have a vision board and they know exactly what they want to be. And I love that you're kind of neither. You just kind of did what you loved and you just kept doing it <laughs> and then that became a job and then now you're still doing it and you still love it. Like it's very it's just such a beautiful story that you are every day waking up doing the things that you've loved since you were a kid. And it's amazing and inspiring for so many others that they can do that too. Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, I suppose like that's quite a romantic notion. That's probably a remiss of me to not mention that I've had some amazing support. And yeah, at the very center of that is certainly my parents because, you know, whilst they gave me and my brother every opportunity possible to do well at things and, you know, succeed, I, I think their may, major focus and, and goal for us as, as kids was just to encourage us to have fun and do things that we wanted to do. But if we were going to do them, you know, have have a good go at it so I think that's played a big part in like the way I've approached sport because it's never been you know a real pressure environment for me it's just been something that I've enjoyed and tried to do my best at and Mm. probably derived as much satisfaction and motivation from just working hard as opposed to I guess achieving specific things or you know winning different things or scoring so many runs or whatever it is I don't think that's ever been the biggest factor for me and um, that's certainly come from mum and dad. I think it's also interesting because for some people when they do come into a sport or an activity purely for joy and not necessarily to succeed or win or you know achieve all those milestones sometimes making it professional does take the joy away from it because it does add a lot of pressure and it suddenly changes you know the stakes I love that that hasn't ruined it for you like if anything <laughs> it's just allowed you to continue on on the journey of what you're doing but what I also love is <laughs> You have not only excelled extraordinarily at cricket, you had a dual sporting career until you were kind of 
forced to make a choice. So how did you choose? How did you jump the two of them and navigate that whole, like not only success so young, but success in two pathways so young? Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, there's a big part of sport whilst you, know, you got to work hard at things and, you know, it's a lot of chipping away and you spend a lot of hours doing things. There is an element at different times where it comes down to timing and luck per se. And I think for me, there's a couple of factors with that, like possibly when I first started playing, the timing around that for where women's sport was, was that neither cricket or, or soccer was full-time professional. So being involved in both, both was actually possible because the time demands for me the sport weren't at a level where you know you have to be solely committed to it to the one sport and then from a selection point of view I think you know it was just oh it came along at the right time and was doing sort of the right things for what those teams needed based on a couple of people retiring or not being fit for a series and those kinds of things so um, it was pretty yeah quite surreal in a lot of ways um, but also really cool because I um, absolutely loved playing both sports growing up and it was really nice to to be able to continue them um, and have some amazing experiences I guess around the world playing both cricket and soccer for a while and then yeah like going on from that and again it's sort of luck and and timing I think um, to have been a part of like this amazing evolution of women's sport in our country particularly and and on a global level but I think Australia has led the way in a lot of respects in terms of the professionalization of women's sport and taking it to a whole new level and as we're saying like it being a career path now for young athletes coming through that's been incredible and I suppose as that started to evolve it meant playing both sports wasn't as possible and selfishly speaking like I love seeing both but I think um, in terms of what was best for the sport and also a really exciting new experience and opportunity for, for me to be a full-time professional athlete in one sport, which ended up being cricket. It was pretty amazing. It's, it's lovely to have sort of experienced, I think, both sides of it, like that the semi-professional sort of system that, that was kind of what I came into to where we are now, like being full-time professionals and particularly in an international level, being paid incredibly well to play and, you know, travelling the world most months of the year and yeah. staying in lovely hotels and being on TV with our matches all the time and all that kind of stuff has been pretty amazing to see where we've got to in, gosh, I think I've been playing for 14 years. So, yeah, that's been awesome. Oh my gosh, that is absolutely incredible. And I think it's very hard. There's a lot of challenges in adjusting to being propelled onto the international stage and to go from doing something semi-professionally to at the elite international level, you know, getting kind of projected into the global scene (laughs) (laughs) so quickly. But to have all that from debuting, you were the youngest ever Australian Test cricketer at the age of 17. Like that is so young to deal with all that. It's it's hard to deal with it at any age, but at that age, now looking back, are you just like, I was a baby and I was getting on planes and going around the world? Like, did you struggle with it or was it surreal? Or what did 17-year-old Elise feel about suddenly just making it and being on this global playing field? Um, yeah, it was certainly pretty amazing I missed a lot of school too which I think I was pretty chuffed about at the time Um, (laughs) I was gonna say you did end up finishing which I'm pretty impressed (laughs) yeah I don't think mum and dad would have let me not but I think as I said like when it first came about um, when I was selected like it was a huge surprise because I I wasn't to like planning that or or anything or pining for selection it just sort of popped up and it was this like incredible opportunity that I obviously jumped at and I think from the minute that I got to my first tour which was with the Australian cricket team series up in Darwin against New Zealand the second I got there like I 
I was like, oh, this is really, 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 really cool. And I want to do this lots. Um, so I think from, from that moment on, I was like, okay, I've sort of like figured out that this is something I want to be a part of for as, as long as I can be. Um, and I think that kind of set a, a bit of a course forward, I suppose. But in saying that, like, I think I just have always enjoyed whatever I'm doing at the time and, you know, taking that for what it is. Um, it's really easy in sport to get ahead of yourself because there's always something on the horizon there's always something coming up but it's such a fickle and fast changing sort of environment to be involved in that um I think if you kind of just make the most of where you are at the time it it's a lot easier to handle so yeah and I think you know for whatever reason as a kid I was kind of okay at doing that and so it made like going away on trips really enjoyable and not too overawing because I think I just when they came up came up they came up I wasn't kind of thinking too far ahead and then the same when I was away I wasn't like thinking about what the next thing was or oh gosh I gotta get back to school and finish these exams and all that kind of stuff it was just kind of like all right this is what I'm doing at the moment so I'm just going to enjoy it. That is so incredibly refreshing to hear like you just sound so incredibly well adjusted for your age that even then you were able to just be in the moment and not overanalyze everything. And my brain would automatically just be so stressed about, you know, I think there's something about when you do achieve really high heights that then you've got to keep up with that. And then you mentioned before that winning hasn't always been your kind of North star and your metric of valuing yourself. But mm. I think a lot of people would find that really difficult to then move into a professional arena where everything is about winning and everything is about performance and success. And mm. it sounds like you've been able to keep a really good head on your shoulders because you've been called the greatest player we've ever seen like that's a really heavy burden to carry on your shoulders at 17. <laughs> I certainly wasn't anywhere near that um, discussion <laughs> at 17 uh, I was very raw <laughs> yeah like I think obviously like winning and being successful in most things but like particularly sport is a huge part of it um, and I don't mean to downplay that but I think that's that's kind of like the product or the the end result of everything else you do um and I think I've just always enjoyed the process towards that like I like knowing that I've really worked hard at something or I've really thought about something and analyzed it and changed it and then you know spent time doing that because I think it's going to be successful you know and and doing that with other people is always really enjoyable so I guess like for me that's that's what I really value is like the process of it and, and going through all of that but yeah, I guess ultimately you do it to be successful and, you know, based off plenty of experience when you're not successful, it, it bloody sucks, but um, <laughs> I think you always learn from it too. And that is the beauty about sport. There's always a new competition and another one coming around the corner. So yeah, there's always a chance to move on pretty quickly, but yeah, I, I think that's just, that's sort of how I am motivated. It's like, and that's not necessarily right or, or wrong. It's just works for me. You know, like there's other people who I play with or against who are just like ultra competitive beasts and wouldn't matter if it was like <laughs> a game of handball to warm up or something like that. They've got to win that. You know, they, they have to win everything at training, in life. Like, <laughs> um, you know, there's some people that just thrive off competition and and winning um, and that works for them but I think for me that's that's a little bit too intense and too much so I'd prefer to focus on like I guess other things most of the time. I like that so much because I think what actually makes me so fascinated to, to create this podcast and what I love to explore in the conversations is that we are all motivated by different things we do mm -hmm. all gain fulfillment and satisfaction from different things and 
the main thing is just to find out what that is for yourself rather than yeah. using other people's measures to kind of measure <laughs> yourself. And I, I love that you kind of know that that's, that hyper-competitiveness isn't your thing and that's yeah. not necessarily the path that brings you the most joy in what you're doing. So I think that's a really valuable demonstration of how different people, even in the same team, can be driven by different yeah. outcomes and and their process is is different. Yeah. From like a an outsider's perspective, assume that some of the listeners haven't been converted to the joys of cricket yet and <laughs> don't actually understand. Don't do it. You'll lose hours of your life for no reason. That'd <laughs> <laughs> be what I'd say. Sorry. <laughs> ask a question. So what does your season look like? There's so many different formats like WBBL, the 2020. Mm. You know, just quickly run us through what your life as a cricketer is like. How do you train? You know, what's your training yeah. regime like? I know your dad is actually <laughs> your coach. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I haven't been practicing this question because it's pretty much like talking to my school friends who have absolutely no idea about cricket and definitely really? don't want to know about it either which I absolutely love so it's quite funny every time every no time we way. catch up I pretty much goes goes through explaining it all over again but um <laughs> in a really good way um it's it's really nice because <laughs> uh, yeah they sort of know me as um just the dag that went they went to school with rather than someone who plays cricket but anyway I digress um yeah, so well, it's evolved a lot for us in the last couple of years, especially. Um, but yeah, as you kind of mentioned, there's so there's three different formats of cricket. Um, one's quite short and one's really long. Um, so T20 or 2020 cricket, that's the <laughs> short one. It goes for about three hours. And yeah, the Big Bash is like the Australian version of that. Um, and it's probably our biggest competition locally um, every year. So I play for the Sydney Sixers in that. And there's about eight teams from around the country who will compete and it's really awesome actually it's, it's been massive in developing our sport and then there's one day cricket so that's 50 overs that goes for about oh, six hours so a whole day and um in that I play for Victoria and then obviously um if I'm representing Australia we play that that format and then um test match cricket which women don't play a lot of at the moment uh, but that's four days of cricket so <laughs> like a one day match four days in a row pretty much so yeah it's yeah it's a time consuming sport but um <laughs> but yeah in terms of training we train most days the australian contracted players are all full-time professionals so we yeah we train most most days if we're not on tour um, which we probably spend about six months of the year touring now at least but if we're not on tour, we're in our home states or up in Brisbane on camps, um, which is where our National Cricket Centre is. So kind of do stuff, yeah, most days. And during the Australian summer, uh, we play on the weekends most of the time. So you sort of train all week and then play most weekends. Um, and that's pretty much cricket in a nutshell, really, from a physical point of view. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really cool because it's not the average nine to five job, I suppose. Um, it's pretty sporadic and every year changes. Like there's some set competitions, but, you know, where we tour around the world changes every year. During our winter, we're often overseas, whether that's in, you know, the subcontinent or England or somewhere like the West Indies. Yeah, we sort of, we, we travel a fair bit with that. And then during our summer, a lot of it is played locally, which is pretty cool. And undoubtedly one of the um, you know, biggest highlights or things I value the most having played for a while is getting to see so much of Australia and just how amazing our country is. So yeah, I, I've loved that side of it. And it probably is the only sport in Australia that is truly national um, in terms of teams from just about everywhere. So yeah, that's been really cool. <laughs> 
A quick word from this week's partner in Yay. You may have seen I've been using ISO to lift my previously extremely minimal beauty game. And I reckon my beauty IQ has gone up a good few notches thanks to the gals at Adore Beauty's Beauty IQ Uncensored podcast. I mean, I've never felt more seen than hearing that mask knee is a thing and I'm not the only one breaking out from all the mask wearing. Plus now I have a fancy name to call it. I've never really felt that beauty literate, but I love how Hannah and Joanna firstly rhyme and secondly blend really relaxed conversations and guest interviews into a full beauty education i've recently learned about inner facials i know they're a thing why i need or maybe don't need eye cream and the difference between professional and supermarket hair care so useful I really wish I could produce a Seize the A episode every day for you guys, but instead there are some other incredible potties to fill your ears. And you know my favourites are the ones that sound like a chat between friends, so I think you'll love Beauty IQ Uncensored and learn a heap about how to get your glow on. I'll pop a link to the latest episode in the show notes for you lovelies. And don't forget Adore Beauty founder Kate Morris has already been on Seize the A, so head back to catch up if you haven't already listened. Now back to the show. I think people underestimate the athleticism of cricket and like just how fast, like if anyone has tried to actually bowl a ball and then looks at the (laughs) stats of how fast you guys actually bowl the ball, we would all just look at our shoulders if we tried to bowl as fast (laughs) as you guys do. And then of course, when you're batting, you're running, like you're not running all the time, but you're also running. So what kind of training other than just playing cricket, like what kind of training are you guys doing? Because I think people think you're just playing cricket over and over. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It is like a a pretty highly um, skilled based sport. So batting, bowling and, and fielding, but, um, yeah, particularly with 2020 cricket coming in, so the shorter version, it's it's evolved a lot because that's played at a, a much higher intensity and and probably requires a bit more athleticism to do so. So yeah, we do like quite a lot of running, um, whether that's sort of like speed training or um, more fitness based running, as well as like a, quite a lot of gym. Actually, I think in terms of um, team sports and field based sports, we'd probably be one of the sports that does the most amount of gym, um, barring some of the rugby codes, I reckon. So, yeah, that's reasonably important, whether that's to be, like, strong enough to support yourself when you're trying to bowl fast or strong enough to hit the ball as far and as hard as you want to. So, yeah, I I mean, there's a a pretty cool physical aspect to it. And I guess you couple that with coordination and and trying to execute skills and it makes it, um, yeah, a a pretty enjoyable game. When I... Like every time I watch the cricket and you can see the speed of each person's bowl, I'm just like, the fact that you can even see that coming at you, like when you're batting, <laughs> they're really hard balls. They're going like hundreds of kilometers <laughs> an hour. It is actually yeah. petrifying. Like watching from a distance, it looks much easier than I'm sure it is. But I'm like, how did you even see that coming at you? That is just, <laughs> you must have such precision reflexes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think it's just amazing what the human body is capable of adapting to really like like anything um for sure like I would absolutely struggle if I got put on a rugby field and someone ran at me and I had to try and try and tackle them or or a dance floor threw, yeah well let's not go there um, you should absolutely but, do dancing with the stars <laughs> yeah. oh man that's one way to embarrass myself in front of the entire nation um but like yeah someone chucked me a pair of skis as well like 
that would be like watching Bambi on ice too. So um, <laughs> yeah, I, that, that always fascinates me about sport. I, I think like just how quickly we adapt to things um, mm. as, as humans. It's pretty amazing. And certainly like even with fast bowling, right? Like you haven't faced it for a while. It's pretty scary to, to go back in and, and get in front of it as a batter. But it's amazing how quickly like you kind of just sharpen your senses to it and your reflexes and all those things again. All of a sudden it feels like normal. But yeah. um, definitely at the start of every season, you're like, oh, my God, I'm going <laughs> to pop a few. <laughs> do you, you always, always do. have bruises? Like do you walk around with bruises for the first little part of the uh, training season? Yeah, yeah. Like, you often get hit like somewhere in the legs at some point. <laughs> <laughs> all of us do. And you can always see like when someone's copped one because it, it – there's normally a pretty good cricket ball size bruise on one of their thighs. So <laughs> that's just part and parcel, I guess. <laughs> and we talked before about how wonderfully the timing has worked out that as you were progressing through life, the women's sports landscape was also progressing to allow you to access more and more things. And mm. I think you played in the first ever women's world 2020 that didn't exist before like there's new games and competitions opening all the time what's your big vision for women's sport and women's cricket and what does it mean (laughs) to you to be a role model for young sports women because I think you really are you're like cover of women's health like you're increasingly influencing younger women to believe they can go full-time where they once wouldn't (laughs) have been able to um yeah my my big vision um I suppose for me, like, I think it is that women's sport in Australia and like, and globally as well, but I suppose I'm a little bit like patriotic when it comes to this stuff. So (laughs) women's sport in Australia holds a really firm and strong place, um, I guess, in the sporting landscape, but with its own identity, I think um, something that is really important for us is like, I think we have to have our own identity in the sense that we don't constantly compare female athletes, particularly in team sports, to to male counterparts and the way that they play or the way that their competitions go. Because I think inherently, you know, one of the great things about life is, is men and women are, are really different. Um, you know, so the way that we approach and play sport is inherently different to the way uh, men do, even if you're playing technically the same game. Um, so I think, and that that's definitely like the more people are tuning in and watching and, the more exposure that women's sport is getting, people are really kind of learning those nuances and and starting to love women's sport for what it brings to the table and its own identity rather than constantly comparing it to men's sport. So I think for me, that would be great if ultimately it is just its own thing um, and it stands on its own feet and, you know, the, the tickets that we sell or the broadcast deals that we produce or you know, the revenue that is derived from women's sport is at a level where I guess it supports and funds itself um, Mm. and is, you know, a genuine revenue maker for whatever organisation runs that sport too, I suppose. That's kind of like the ultimate goal. I think that would be be incredible for for female athletes and and for sport in general. Yeah, and I I don't know how long that would would take. I think it'll definitely happen, Um, but it's been built on some really strong foundation. I'm probably now only speaking from a, a very cricket centric point of view, but I think it's been built on some really strong foundations and a lot of progress over lots and lots of years. Um, and I think that will just keep going. And um, you know, certainly having been involved in this level for 14 years and seeing the change and just the amount of young girls that now come to our matches and 
it's not even just young girls, it's young boys as well. And they absolutely love being there. They know all the players. They want to meet them after the game for an autograph and all those kinds of things, I think, is is really exciting and promising. And, um, yeah, I guess those those young kids in 10 years' time are going to be you know, 18 and 19. And, and hopefully the way that they look at the sport is is through that lens of, of it just being its own thing and enjoyable for what it is and, and not needing to be compared to men's sport. I really, really like that you brought that up because I think in all areas of equality, often we try and suppress our differences. And I think a lot of people interpret gender equality as like men and women must be the same. But I actually don't really think that that's necessarily what we should be aiming for because that ignores the reasons why we're different in a good way. And that does ignore mm-hmm. the nuances of how we're meant to be different from each other otherwise there'd only be one gender like there's a there's strengths (laughs) and weaknesses in being men and women and of course we want to achieve substantive equality but it doesn't mean that everything has to look the same yeah exactly that it can stand on its own feet and I love that I think that's really important to emphasize is it's not about comparing between the two types it's about women's sport in itself being able to shine as its own thing yeah what about the fact that I think also in women's sport it can be hard to find your femininity because so many successful role models out there do have, you know, stories of being a tomboy at school and loving <laughs> sport and always being kind of ascribed that tomboy category of personality. Mm. But sometimes you go to the women's sport awards and you put on a beautiful gown and like you kind of like you're in sports clothes all the time. So you don't get to necessarily express the feminine side of yourself. Do you find that's hard like people project certain things on you like you're always going to be the tomboy and then when you're at dress it's like a really big deal like how do you never get that side of your identity um yeah that's a really good question I haven't probably been asked it in that way before um <laughs> I think um certainly like when I was growing up um when I played cricket and soccer like I'd been an all-boys team in an all-boys comp and it was a bit of a novelty to have a, a girl in your team you know if there was another girl in the competition or another team it was like whoa like there's there's another one which is a bit like like I loved it at the time and it never fazed me but I can see how that is is really daunting for a lot of young girls whereas I think now all those sports are so much more mainstream in terms of being accessible to to young girls and a big part of that is that sporting organizations have realized that for them to continue to be viable and operate and, and be popular like they've got to appeal to 100% of the population I think typically like sports like cricket and soccer you know and rugby and AFL and all those kinds of games just really ignored like 50% of the population or you know their female audience because they just took for granted that the male participation was was enough for the game whereas now I think there's such an emphasis on including more females in in sport um, whether that's as, as players or volunteers or officials or you know, working as um, executives in in high high placed roles in organising the sport and that kind of thing. It's it's so much yeah, for choice of a better term, mainstream. And I I think that whole notion of like stereotyping females involved in you know, typically male dominated sports as tomboys or yeah, not not feminine or not girly has definitely evolved, um, which is nice because I think it's well for me anyway. I, I really really value the fact that I can can use my body you know in an athletic way and you know, I guess be a bit rough and tumble throw myself around dive and end up with bruises and bumps and knocks and you know tie my hair back and and not worry about makeup 
all those kinds of things. But I also love being feminine as well um, and putting on a nice dress or clothes and, and going out with friends or, yeah, that side of, of what is, you know, being a woman like that's that's really important too so I think there's a great mix now and certainly going forward that will be more and more evident even like looking at I guess the demographic of of our team at the moment I think it's evolved so much as well like you've got people coming from so many different walks of life now um, whereas before it's probably quite homogenous in mm. terms of like where we all came from um, Whereas now, like, there's so many different backgrounds and values and cultures and, you know, interests outside of, of the sport that um, is really nice because people can maintain their own identity and it's really welcoming, which is cool. I think it's such an exciting time now and the next couple of decades for women's sport because of that increased level mm. of diversity, which means um, there's so many more opportunities and yeah, it's incredibly, incredibly exciting time. Yeah. What about some of the biggest challenges for you along the way? This section's called an ATA, which is pretty much just all the barriers that you face to your joy along the way, like <laughs> imposter syndrome, being so young and wondering like, how did I get here? Burnout, like looking at your schedule, even in the next couple of weeks, you're in New Zealand or when you're playing New Zealand and then you've got the WBBL and then Australia versus India and then the World <laughs> Cup, like the the games that are rolling out and expecting you to perform, like your schedule's hectic. So has burnout been a factor and, and injury and then, yeah, any any other things that have kind of challenged you along the way? Yeah, um, I always think I've been for very, very fortunate with this stuff to the point where I probably feel a little bit guilty because I just think I've had the most amazing and smooth journey with, with most of it. <laughs> Maybe um, that's because you're resilient and <laughs> not that there hasn't been any problems. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe. I, yeah, um, certainly like the support that I've had, you know, first and foremost, I've mentioned them a few times, like my, my family, mum and dad have been amazing, you know, various coaches along the way and, and people that I've just met through sport um have you know either become really really close friends or just mentors has made a big impact and uh, I think like for me especially with sport yes it's important but I guess like we're never ever playing for sheep stations so it's (laughs) meant that like when things don't go your way you know or you get an injury or you lose a game or don't don't get selected or someone's annoying whatever it is like at the end of the day it doesn't doesn't matter that much and I remember my mum said something to me a long time ago when we were driving to a school primary school swimming carnival and I was so (laughs) nervous like didn't want to go was sort of in tears like just so nervous and worried about the outcome and and she was like no one's going to remember the next day if you win or you come last like they don't wake up the next morning and the first thing they think of was at least came last like she was totally (laughs) crap and that's exactly the same at this level. Like even if I, I don't know, made the most horrific mistake and, and lost a game for, for the team, no one is waking up the next morning and that's the first thing they think of except for me because mm. like, you're just not that important <laughs> it's just, and it's just not that important. <laughs> and I think like that's always kind of stuck in the back of my mind somewhere and maybe in a way I've used it comfort a lot of the mm. time that, especially when I am feeling anxious or nervous or whatever, that it's just not that important. So, yeah, I haven't really answered your question. Like, <laughs> sorry. I, no, not at all. I think it's a really hard one, but I think it sounds like your parents have given you or helped you develop a really healthy relationship 
with winning and losing and not not letting your whole identity be too wrapped up in like the highs and the lows or the injuries or your, your ability to perform and yeah. and have output isn't something that kind of leaves you feeling like you're not worthy or anything yeah I suppose not I think yeah and that's not to say that I haven't had proper meltdowns at training sessions especially with dad at the local nets like and like <laughs> throwing my bat or being an absolute brat like that stuff <laughs> that stuff definitely happens but I think maybe at the heart of it is that there's a big difference between confidence and belief in my mind and confidence is quite fleeting and it comes and goes and sometimes you're really confident sometimes you you know you really doubt yourself but at the heart of it I think is that if you have an innate self-belief in you and what you're doing and and you know that somewhere along the line it'll come good or you're capable of of it and you just got to stick at it I think if you can maintain that that self-belief even if confidence a bit down it makes getting through things that are a bit bit tough or challenging a lot easier I think I've never made that distinction before but I think that's a really good one because you can have a fleeting sense like a boost of confidence Mm. and then lose it but still believe in yourself overall that's really interesting yeah what about the fact that I love that idea that your mum taught you about it's not that important I think another thing I remind myself of all the time is no one cared no what was it it's like written on a mug that I've got it's like no one oh my god I can't even remember it now but something about how no one's thinking about you in a good way or no one cares no one's no one's watching what you're doing in a good way yeah the thing though when you get really famous and successful is that some people are watching what you're doing and particularly from as young an age as you were propelled onto the global scene. Have you found being on social media, being in the media and that kind of level of connection that this digital world allows, has that been hard to navigate or like have you felt overconnected at times or like Mm. I find sometimes outward obligations to do interviews and stuff even I can find really exhausting sometimes and it's not even close to the scale that you would have that. How do you navigate your energy and like connectedness? Yeah, um, actually, I think that's something probably in the last couple of years, especially that I've really grappled with. Um, Social media for me is a really easy one because I kind of, in a lot of ways, have removed myself from that. Um, (laughs) Yeah, like don't do it. (laughs) um, No, yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't really do it for me. I guess like um, (laughs) I don't really enjoy scrolling through news feeds you know I've got a couple of accounts that I sort of use to stay in touch with people that I don't see a lot and really like if they put up a post and it like grabs my attention then like that's kind of a reminder to to message them and check in or or you know see how they're going or whatever that is but in general as a as a means of connecting with uh, fans or people I don't don't know I I think I find it a little bit tricky um because you're really just presenting an image a lot of the time and that's I think for me that would be really exhausting um Mm -hmm. and I'm not I'm not particularly good with technology so um (laughs) and I don't I'm not one of those people that kind of thinks in the heat of the moment oh get my phone out take a photo of that or take a picture I think I'm a bit old school like that so yeah from a social media point of view like uh, I haven't found that hard like I don't delve into people leaving comments on stuff and Mm. all that kind of thing um in saying that like I I know I've just sort of canned it all I think it's a great tool and I think some people use it amazingly well um I just it's not it's not me (laughs) um so there's that but I think from a a general media point of view I 
Yeah, I really grapple with it because I guess I feel like my my job, even though it's not really a job, but my job is to be a professional athlete or sports person and I've very willingly kind of taken on that responsibility and all that all that comes with that. I, I, I've signed up for that. I guess what I feel like I haven't signed up for is anything that is outside the realm of doing my job so like you know your private life or your personal life your family life Mm. things that people feel like they have a right to know because you're in the media um because you've got yeah (laughs) yeah and or I guess the time demands that then people put on you or the things that they ask of you because they think or assume maybe that you really enjoy doing that stuff um Mm. yeah is is a tricky one and women's sports in such an interesting place as well where we're really reliant on coverage and the media and continual promotions the sport for it to do well and keep growing but where do you draw the line with that and um, I think one of the, the great appeals of women's sport at the moment is that all the athletes I guess don't have that really polished media training or <laughs> answers to things is much more authentic and genuine and probably less guarded than what male sport is because we haven't been exposed to it for so many years <laughs> mm. yeah so I suppose yeah that's kind of a ramble um, but that's kind of <laughs> what I've, I've definitely grappled with because I'm not an outward person I'm quite shy or intrinsically um, mm. yeah pretty introverted so yeah it, it's a really interesting one some people love it again like difference in people being competitive or not like there's girls in our team that absolutely love it and they thrive off it and they get energy from doing those kinds of things I think for me I find it really draining and Mm. sometimes like really confronting so um yeah anyway that's part of it though and you know I think you just got to learn what yeah what you're comfortable with and and what your boundaries are I suppose and and how do you maintain the integrity of that totally and that leads really nicely to the last little section which is called play TA which is pretty consistent with that theme of just knowing yourself and finding the things that drain Mm. your energy and then finding the things that refuel your energy and the most important part about play is it has to be something that doesn't necessarily relate to cricket or your vocation because I think we (laughs) all need a break from the thing that we do and that is our like job you know we're human beings not human doings and you need to make time for the things that make you forget what the time is or what obligations are so what do you do for play do you watch tv do you read (laughs) um I love that idea of like forgetting what the time is I think that's anything that kind of you get so absorbed in that you lose track of time is is worthwhile doing but um for me like I love the outdoors and being active so if I'm not training I still like kind of you know <laughs> training <just being> outdoors <laughs> and be, being a part of it yeah but I like doing it with I love doing it with other people um I think when I'm by myself I don't probably enjoy it as much but it's certainly like going camping and like making the most of some of the amazing like scenery and countryside that we have I love doing that probably in my <laughs> my later 20s I've like discovered a real passion for red wine um so no like just like yeah visiting vineyards and learning more and more about that has been um been really cool actually I've got a lot of energy from that um <laughs> wine does that going to some beach, people. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um yeah like just spending time with with people that yeah really close and important to me I think gives me a lot of a lot of energy as well yeah that's probably the main things like 
I always find I'm happier when I'm outdoors, which has meant the last 10 days in quarantine has been Difficult. a little bit of a struggle. Yeah, a little bit. But yeah, it's probably the main things. I love that your school friends as well, like, won't have a bar of cricket. They're just like, mm. nah. <laughs> That's, I think that in itself nah. is also really refreshing for you. <laughs> oh, for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny. Like, we, when whenever we catch up, everyone does, like, such different things to another. Um, and none of us understand what each other does, really. So it's sort of, like, this really, like, brushed <laughs> over. How's, how's the cricket? Yeah, it's good, thanks. Oh, cool. Anyway, and then we sort of get on to <laughs> talking about much more meaningful stuff but, um, <laughs> yeah well second last question just to finish up mm-hmm. what are three interesting things about you that never come up in conversation oh I'm terrible with these questions um <laughs> these are the ones where I feel like you learn something that only housemates would know or only your parents <laughs> would know that it just like yeah humanizes people so much yeah well I gave away two of those things like I don't close cupboard doors. That's a um, great one. Really bad with that. And often in the kitchen because, yeah, it's like on show for everyone. Um, you must do it enough to have noticed. That's a lot of yeah. cupboard doors being it's open. Been, it's been p- pointed out to me regularly. Um, <laughs> my jaw clicks when I eat sometimes. Um, I told you that too. So I'm just cheating here and you. I know. I'm like, dude. Rehashing material. <laughs> um, I really like doing the washing. No way. The the, the dishwasher and the clothes washing, laundry, I think they call that. Um, (laughs) That's the technical word. They're my my household jam. Like, yeah, I'm all over that. Mm. That is so interesting. (laughs) I think I have a mild case of OCD too because, like, the dishwasher's got to be perfect, you know, arranged properly. And then when I hang clothes out, it's a bit the same. That's so weird, though, that you'd have, like, spotless dishes but the cupboard's open. Maybe it's to show how yeah, spotless your dishes are inside the cupboard. That is true. Look what I did, everyone. <laughs> Look how beautiful my dishes are. <laughs> and so since true. I love quotes so much, what's your favourite quote? Oh, um, there are a few, but I've, if everything's important, nothing's important. It's kind of quite relevant to sport a lot of the time. Mm, um, that's a great one. Yeah. I also I like think that, that way about happiness. If, if you were always happy, you wouldn't know what happiness was because – it would be yeah. the same all the time. I totally agree. Actually, I was, I'm going to muck this quote up. Um, <laughs> but I was reading this article the other day and it was about this um, island in Greece and the people there live for a really long time. Ikaria? Um, no, maybe. One of the five blue okay, zones. Can, yes. And one of the locals was quoted as saying, it, oh, it's going to annoy me. See if we can find it because it's actually like, if it's right here, I'll tell you it because there's something about like not living to live for a long time, but like, oh, it's I've just absolutely made an a hash of that um <laughs> if the great oh, guys man. listening we're really mm. sorry <laughs> yeah oh it was such a good article I sent it to my mum actually um <laughs> I'm probably not going to be able to remember it but oh here we go I've got it yes <laughs> and it's probably going to be completely off the mark as to what I just said okay uh, it was Icarite is that what you said yeah yeah so we did not try to add years to our life instead we try to add life to our years I love that one. Yeah. That's I mean, I didn't beautiful. even get close to it before reading it. But... <laughs> yeah. 
I did like that. A plus for effort, babe. A plus mm. for effort. <laughs> so it's a new, it's a new favorite that I need to commit to memory, <laughs> so I don't do that again. <laughs> oh well, thank you so much. This was such a pleasure, and as I mentioned, my whole family are fangirling you. I'm fangirling oh. you, and it's been lovely to chat. Yeah, thanks for having me. I've, I've enjoyed chatting. I'm still just so impressed at how Elise manages her fame and success so humbly and sensibly. If I had shot to fame at 16 years old, I can safely say I wouldn't have managed it so gracefully. She is doing such wonderful things for women's sport and sport overall, and I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I did. If you did enjoy, as always, please share and tag at Elise Perry and myself and catch Elise playing Australia versus New Zealand until the 10th of October, then the WBBL and Australia versus India as we head into the new year. Hope you're having an amazing week and a seizing your yay.